since since the sermon today is on relationships and those types of things, we may pray a little longer this morning. So lift your hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for your sweet presence in this place today. We thank you, God, for every member of your precious body. We pray, God, that our hearts will be receptive to your word, that your word would transform us, transform our marriages, transform our singleness, and let us glorify you in every way. Bless the pastor in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Claude. Um, yeah, we are going to get into a, uh, a series that I think is extremely important. Uh, it's about marriage, sex, dating, hookups. Uh, so there's really something in this series for everyone, which is good news. Um, and, and this is an area that can be difficult and challenging and tender for a lot of us. Um, and so, uh, you know, I want you to hang tough through this whole series, okay? Because there's going to be stuff in this series that's going to challenge you and surprise you and hopefully encourage you ultimately and strengthen you and strengthen your relationships. Um, you know, this is one of the things where it can be controversial and, and so I would say if there's something in this message that um, offends you or uh, makes you upset or you have something you want to express, I want you to please email me at Claude underscore Bennett at sbcglobal.net. And um, you can just send those right over. <laughs> so, man, I knew that was going to work. I just knew it. Um, there's a commercial that I saw recently, and it's for the Lexus RX. And it's a surprising commercial. It's a commercial that's got a little twist at the end. And in this commercial, they're in sort of a New York loft, maybe a bar, happy hour kind of atmosphere. A group of people, sharp-dressed professionals. The men are wearing suits and cool ties. Uh, the women are wearing cocktail dresses, and everybody's looking stylish and cool, right? And the camera goes to one guy who looks across the room and he sees this woman that he finds attractive and he looks over at her and he kind of smiles, catches her eye. She smiles back. And so he just very coolly saunters across the room and enters into conversation with her. Now, she's surrounded by her friends and they're all talking. Uh, He introduces himself to her and they sort of chit-chat back and forth for a minute. And then there's a lot of crosstalk. You know, people are all talking at the same time. And while they're talking, he glances over to her and he sort of tosses his head and gives her this nod as if to say, hey, let's get out of here. So then you cut to outside of the bar. The two of them run down the steps of the bar and just so conveniently the Lexus RX is parked right in front of the bar. And they jump in and they're cruising through the city streets at night and they're laughing and smiling. And then you cut to the interior of a diner. And they're sitting there, and he's cracking some jokes, and she's laughing, and everything is going really smoothly. Then the next scene, they're in a, they're in a pool hall or some kind of a bar, and she sort of looks up flirtatiously as she sinks the eight ball in the corner pocket. And then they go to a carnival. I don't know where the carnival is, but there's a carnival. It's two in the morning, and there's a carnival. And, and they're on this carousel. And, and, you know, so they're going around on this carousel. The wind is blowing her hair, and... And he leans down and he kisses her on the neck. And then they cut to a, uh, a really picturesque scene by a bridge. Now it's like got to be two in the morning or three in the morning. And the lights of the bridge are twinkling against the river as the water flows down. Very romantic. It's a little cold outside. She's wearing his jacket. 
And he sort of pulls her close and, uh, you know, in this sort of embrace. Then we cut to the exterior of her apartment. She lives in sort of a brownstone apartment in Brooklyn. And he pulls up, and now she tosses her head as if to say, come on in. So they jump out of the car, they trot up the steps, and they run into the apartment. The camera stays outside, so we're, watch, we're, we're looking at the car, and then through time-lapse photography, we see that day or night turns to day, and the car is still there, and it, we say, aha, okay, so this guy spent the night. There's a hookup here. Camera goes into the apartment, and it pans up the bed, and, and it sort of pulls up the bed, and you see this couple you know, in this hugging embrace, right? And so far we say, okay, no surprises. This is, this is exactly what we would expect from a contemporary commercial because every commercial or every TV show or every movie you see um, espouses the idea that, you know, you go out, you have a few drinks, you buy a girl a burger, you shoot some pool, and you may just score, right? So they're in this apartment, and... Then the, then the twist comes, and here's the twist. You may have seen this. Two little kids come bounding into the room, and they hop up on the bed, and they hug the, the two parents uh, to the two people, and you realize that this couple is actually married and that these are their kids. And what's surprising about this commercial is how surprising it is to us because we're like, wow, a married couple that went and had some romance and played pool and had fun and then had some sexual intimacy. I mean, whoa, on TV? (laughs) We have become inundated and so used to the description that the culture gives us in general about love, sex, marriage, and dating that when we see a picture of it that more accurately depicts what the scriptures and the Bible teaches us about it, we're totally surprised. We're floored. I want to do a real quick fun exercise with you. And um, you can do this out loud or you can just do this in your mind, okay? If you have more of something than anyone else, you have the most. Right on, Don. Thanks. Don and I went to high school together. That's why she was the fastest. Bang. Pattonville Pirates, baby. If you have organized a party at your house, then you are the Host of the party, H-O-S-T. Most, M-O-S-T, and host, H-O-S-T. If you live in California, you live on the West Coast, C-O-A-S-T. If you like to eat potatoes in a pot, you like pot roast. Okay, good, that was a hard one, R-O-A-S-T. What do you put in a toaster? Oh, man, Don's good. Don, that's not. A lot of you said toast, right? But it's bread, right? You don't put toast in the toaster, right? You take toast out of the toaster. Man. (laughs) We are so often inundated with images and messages about sex from the media that have nothing to do with the biblical perspective that we just sort of go along with it. We sort of just go along with the ideas and the the zeitgeist, if you will, the spirit of the age when it comes to relationships. You know, the things that we just sort of pick up at the office and the things we sort of pick up at, on TV or in the university or from our friends. 
we just kind of pick it up and then we don't really deeply reflect on it and think about what does the scripture say about relationships and how we are to conduct ourselves. And I would submit to you, and I'm going to try to prove it to you over the course of the next several weeks. So if I don't do it today, come back next Sunday. Um, that the Bible offers a better way for us to do relationships than the way we are doing relationships as a culture. I, would, I, I want to submit to you that the Bible has a better way, a better vision, a more beautiful, glorious, powerful, and fulfilling vision of how we are to do sex and relationships and marriage than the than the way that we're currently doing them as a culture, okay? That's what I'm submitting to you. You don't have to agree with me yet, but maybe you will in a few weeks. This was going to be a three-week series, but I, I got three weeks just in today's notes, so um, it may go a little longer than that. I want to start the series by giving you an, a warning and an admission. A warning and an admission. The warning is that this series is going to push your buttons. And I mean every one of you, whether you say, you know what, I've got this dialed in. I've been married 35 years. There are going to be things that I'm going to say from the scripture that are going to push your buttons. And they're going to challenge you in the way that you think about and and conduct yourself relationally and sexually. Okay. I happen to notice, and maybe if you look around, you may notice too that I mean, practically everyone in here is a male or a female. In fact, I did some research on my own, and I found that the global human sex ratio is about one to one. Not perfectly, but it's pretty close. All of us are, by the way we are made, we are sexual and relational creatures. That's what we are. Uh, Rebecca and I were watching TV the other night, and my son Jameson, who's five, comes into the, sh- the room, and on the TV, a girl was talking, and it was kind of a close-up of her face, and she's talking. And Jameson, five years old, walks into the room, doesn't look at us, and as if in a trance, he sort of zombie-like walks over to the TV, and he puts out his lips, and he plants a huge smooch <laughs> on the screen. <laughs> I'm like, man, five years old. Okay. All right. We've got, we got some challenges ahead. Now, Lincoln, who's only three and a half, has already made, I want to say, at least half a dozen proposals to girls in his preschool and maybe even some of your daughters today. So I'm just going to ask for your forgiveness in advance on, on that. Um, so from a very early age, from, the very, from when we're very little, we, we are relational creatures and we are sexual creatures. So it's no surprise that each and every one of us struggles to some extent in this area uh, of our relationships and of our sexual thoughts and our habits and that sort of thing. Um, And so a lot of what I'm going to say is going to challenge that and that may bother you. Um, I also want to tell you that we may have, this series may challenge some of your preconceived notions about relationships in general. So some of you may have overly sentimental views of relationships, some of us. Um, You may think that you need a marriage partner to complete you. Do you remember, you know, remember that Jerry Maguire has really ruined it for like millions of single women around the world because they're waiting for that one special person who will complete them like that 
that's not exactly how the scripture describes it. Um, you may believe that marriage is primarily about your personal quest for growth and self-actualization. So you may believe that marriage is about you. It's a me marriage. And if you hold that belief, then, and you're married, um, um, I would encourage you to keep coming. Um, because the Bible speaks very, very differently about, about that idea. You may believe that if you'll just get married, then everything would be in perfect harmony, harmony and you will live happily ever after. Okay, all of the married couples have, have withheld their, snur- their smirks and their... Uh, let me tell you something. Marriage is awesome and it's amazing, but it's not the panacea if you're a single person. So don't put that in your mind, okay? Um, Tim Keller says that disenchantment arises when we believe the illusion that if we find our one true soulmate, everything wrong with us will be healed. But that makes the lover into God, and no human being can live up to that. In a relationship, number one is not your other, it's God. And when God is God and then your husband or wife is number two, things work out much, much better. If you don't put all of the pressure on them to be God in your life, you won't be quite so disappointed when you realize that they're a human just like you're a human, okay? On the other hand, you may have an overly cynical view of marriage, and this a lot of people have this too. Um, some people believe that marriage is an outmoded form of social control. They believe that it's an oppressive and stifling institution, and they don't want anything to do with it. They may believe, or some of you may believe, that marriage is just a piece of paper. It doesn't really mean anything. It's just something that you just sign off on. Some believe that living together before marriage will increase the likelihood of success after the marriage. This is the don't buy it till you try it philosophy. And uh, there's some really important research about that. We're not going to get into it today, but we will um, in, the, in the weeks ahead. You may believe that marriage is too contradictory to our normal biological and sexual desires to ever really work. This is the anthropological argument that people make. They say, you know what, you know, you're just geared, men are geared to want to have multiple sex partners, and so marriage can never work. So I'm going to push against a lot. I'm going to push against all of these ideas over the next few weeks. Um, So I want to warn you, that's the warning, is that uh, some of this is going to challenge your views and your beliefs. The purpose of this series, and I believe the purpose of the gospel in general, to some extent, is twofold. It's to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Okay? And that's what this stuff does. Um... If you're married, the scripture is going to be directed at increasing the love and intimacy that you are experiencing in your marriage today. If you're a single person, the Bible's teaching about sex are not meant to oppress you and they are not meant to burden you. They are meant to disentangle you from relationships that can derail you and frustrate your purpose as a child of God. And that is the truth. The scripture is there to liberate you. Um, I recently heard about a guy who went to the doctor and he said, Doc, you need to help me out. I broke my arm in two places. And the doctor said, well, you should stop going to those places. Um, Sometimes we engage in our own views of how we want to do relationships and sex and we keep getting hurt and we keep messing up and we keep stumbling and we keep falling but we just keep doing it. 
I want to propose to you the scripture has a better way, a better way. Um, that's the warning. Okay, so here's the admission, and I'm going to start right out with this. For many years of my own life, when I was a young man, before I became a Christian, I ignored everything, all of what I'm about to advocate. I did not pay attention to it. I did not buy it. I did not believe in it. Okay? Um, I'll get personal just for a second. And my wife said, don't be too personal and don't be an oversharer, so I'm not going to. <laughs> I run all my sermons by her now. Did you, can you pick that up? They're getting a lot better, aren't they? Um, uh, when I was, when I was uh, 14, a, a, an adult woman came on to me, and that was my first sexual encounter. She was like 30. I was 14. And so year, for years after that, I, I didn't really know where to go with that. It was, a, it was a difficult experience for me because on one hand it was fantastic as a 14-year-old boy. I just thought it was great. And on the other hand, I was confused by it, and there was shame attached to it. And there were many years of my own life where um, I was not a person that had healthy relationships. I did not respect women. Um, I didn't connect love and sex or commitment and sex or certainly not marriage and sex. Um, And I had unhealthy relationships. And for several years, that's how I lived. And I want to just say that by the grace of God, God found me on that path and reached into my heart through good counsel, through other brothers that were good Christian men, through scripture, through prayer, uh, through family and community that surrounded me and brought me into a path that is, although not perfect, a far, far cry from the path that I was on when I was a young man. And I want to say I am so grateful for that. My life has been transformed in a way that is so much more fulfilling and powerful and wonderful that I can't even, you know, express how joyful I am about this transition that that God, you know, through people and through his word, how he changed my life and ultimately gave me a woman that is a a way, way, way more than I ever deserved, uh, way more than I could have ever imagined. And we have a really beautiful, at least I think it is, um, and awesome, and I think she thinks it is too. We have an awesome relationship, and I'm really, really grateful for it. So I want to say, I say that to say this, okay? The things that I'm talking to you about, it's not theoretical for me. I'm coming at it from a position of I've, I've been there. I get where you're at. I know where you're coming from, you know, or at least I've, I've been close enough to whatever you're experiencing to, to th- you know, to realize that I... I kind of get where you're coming from. So I say it to say that is that I'm coming at it uh, from a non-theoretical standpoint, but also to say that wherever you are and whatever situation you're in relationally, sexually and all that, God can transform that and bring you into a path of richness, fullness and wholeness and integrity to make your life so much better than it currently is. God is a miracle worker and he can do that for you. If he did it for me, he can do it for you. I guarantee you that. Amen. Okay. Did I overshare? Was that good? Okay, we're good. We're moving on. All right. Um, and one more point I want to bring up in this. Uh, this is a big setup, right? Okay, this is a, but this is, this is a big series. Um, some of you all have, have experienced pain and suffering in this area of sexuality. Sexuality is a very, very powerful force. We like to sort of downgrade it and just think that it's not, but it's, it's extremely powerful and it affects you. In fact, the scripture talks about, and we'll get to this at a later series, that sexual issues um, 
can stay with you and linger longer than other kinds of issues. Um, Some of you have been hurt in these areas. You may have experienced abuse or rape or betrayal, or you've seen parents cheat, or you've you've just experienced crummy issues that have happened to you in life. And so you're, you haven't totally resolved those. Um, and I'm going to try to be very sensitive about that kind of stuff. All right. Um, some of you have been involved with, or are currently involved with kinds of behavior and conduct that isn't condoned by the scripture. And so you're not quite sure what to do about that, or maybe you feel uncomfortable about it. Um, some of you have been, or are promiscuous, you have an issue with pornography. You can't stop looking at it. Um, some of you may find you're attracted to people of the same sex, and you're not sure what to do with that feeling. Um, some of you may have uh, experienced infidelity. Either you did it or someone did it to you. Um, some of you are sexually active with people to whom you're not married. Some of you may have crossed the line with a peer or colleague. So what I, what I want to say is that, you know, wh- wherever you are on this, I want you to know that I'm going to speak what I believe the Bible teaches. I'm going to speak it really clearly, but I'm also going to be sensitive to the issues that you're facing and the stuff that you've gone through, okay? Because I know that sometimes some of you have experienced preaching on this topic that feels like the preacher is just rubbing salt into the wound. And so I would just say today, let's, let's clear that out, right? In fact, I will say on behalf of every preacher that has ever taught on this subject, that I am sorry the church has not handled these issues more sensitively, okay? And so I'll just apologize uh, on behalf of them for callous, insensitive, crass kinds of talk about this stuff. And, um, so, and I would ask that you forgive them uh, so that we can, we can all move forward. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting emotional. Um, this happens about once every, about once a month now for you regular people. I don't know what happens. It's just like, boom, excuse me. Um, all right. And with that, let's jump, jump into the scripture. Shall we? Um, we're going to start with Genesis chapter two and, um, start with verse 18. This is, this is an amazing passage. Uh, we're going to do 18 and then we're going to skip down and do, um, 21 through 25. So this is, this is a, a description in the Bible, and, and the Bible uses some really beautiful and amazing poetic language to describe um, man and woman and, and how they came together. And, and chapter 2, verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. And most of the men in the congregation say amen to that. Uh, the Bible says, I will make him a helper fit for him. And then we cut down to verse 21. It says, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. Now, let me just stop for just a second and tell you that the word, the man in that scripture, the man, the Hebrew word is Adam, A-D-A-M. That means mankind. Ha-Adam means the man. And sometimes the scripture interprets it as a proper noun, Adam, and sometimes it interprets it as man or humankind or humanity, okay? So the Lord God caused a sleep, a deep sleep to fall upon Hadam, the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, now this is the first recorded 
thing that a man says in the scripture that, that humanity ever spoke. Uh, he says, at last uh, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, which in the Hebrew is Isha, I-S-H-A-H, Isha, because she was taken out of, and then it uses a different word for man, Ish. Ish just means like a masculine man, a male, all right? So it's, it's a little word play on Ish and Isha. She shall be called Isha because she was taken from the Ish. We have the same in English. It's man, woman, right? So Adam, in this moment, in this story, is saying, great, now I have a partner that is made of the same substance as me. Therefore, the scripture says, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. They shall become one flesh. Now, what is brilliant about this and what is fascinating about this in the scripture is that you've got this. Let me just say this. When it talks about forming man out of the dust of the earth, the word for earth is Adama, A-D-A-M-A-H, right? So you've got the Bible is doing this amazing poetic thing where it's saying you've got Adama, you've got the dirt, you've got the earth, and out of the Adama, God makes Adam, which is humanity, right? And then he takes a piece out of Adam and makes Isha, and, and man becomes Ish, right? And so now you've got these two people that were taken out of the same stu- substance, and now they are coming back together. And the scripture says that's why a man leaves his father and his mother, and they come together, and they become one flesh, He's saying, this is bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh. She was made for me. We are the, of the same substance. It's actually a really beautiful idea. Um, and, and, and then it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. So the premise of the Bible from the very, very beginning is that the body and that sex and that sexual union in this relationship is good. It is good. It is not bad. It is not shameful. Um, we as a church, not our, not our particular congregation, but as the church in general, has sometimes adopted a sort of Gnostic or Neoplatonist view where we separate the mind and the body and we say, yeah, the, the mind is great. The spirit is great. And the body should be denigrated. The body is bad. That's not the view of the scripture. It does talk about the flesh and the spirit, but that's not talking about the physical body. That's talking about your sinful nature, okay? But the body, cel- uh, the Bible celebrates the body. Um, the Bible celebrates, and as we're going to get into this, the Bible celebrates physical intimacy and sexual union between man and woman. Um, I remember when I was a kid, we're kind of having the talk today, aren't we? I mean, this is, this is, this is it. And I, I remember when, when I was a kid, my parents wanted to have the talk with us. We were just little. And, but, you know, s- talking about sex was so awkward and so difficult and kind of taboo, right? So they had this little book. I wish I had this book. Um, it's a terrible book. It, it was so totally unhelpful, I can't even begin. But, but in this book, it, 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 you know, it had like, it would show a rooster and a chicken. And the rooster would sort of be vaguely behind the chicken. And it would say, this is how baby chicks are made. Okay. And then it would show, and I don't mean to be crass, but then it would show like a bull and a cow and, you know, sort of, you couldn't see what was going on. It was like, it was like cut out animation. You know what I mean? And then it was like, this is how baby cows are made. And then you get to the last page and it shows a man and a woman, like a drawing, you know, like, remember those like uh, happiness is characters? 
You know, those two little people? It was kind of like that. And these two people are lying, you know, sort of face up, covered by a blanket, eyes closed, vague smiles on their faces. And, and it says, this is how babies are made. So, of course, I walked away from that experience going, what you do is you get under a blanket, you face up, you fall asleep, you smile, boom, baby time. So it was probably like a couple months after that, I was with my cousin Alan. My, my cousin lived with us for a while, and he was a, like maybe seven or eight years older. And um, he, he was going out with this girl, and so it was after church, and we went over to her house. And he and her sat down to watch TV, and I was a little kid, so I was playing with trains or something in the other room. And apparently it got cold because Alan and his girlfriend put a blanket over them while they were watching TV. So I come into the room, and it was a Sunday afternoon. They had already eaten the pot roast, and they kind of fell asleep with the blanket over them on the couch. And I remember going, oh, man, nobody told Alan. Alan didn't read the book. Alan's going to have a baby. And for like, on the drive home, I just was sitting there thinking, I got a talent, man, but I, I can't, I can't do it. And for like months, I was looking at his girlfriend, Sharon, who's now his wife, just going, when's it going to show? She's, she's pregnant. I wanted to tell my mom. I, I just held it in. For like four years, I held it in. Um, but the Bible doesn't teach that sex and sexuality is a shameful thing. Uh, in fact, I want to... I want to do some more quizzing. Now, Don, don't shout out all the answers because you got my notes over there, too. I just thought of that. Um, what's the first commandment in the Bible? What's the first imperative statement that God makes to human beings? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. This is the first, this is the first imperative statement that God makes to human beings. To human people, he says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be, fu- be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Do you know how that happens, right? God is saying, go have sex. It's good. That's what he's telling Adam and Eve to do. That's the first thing the scripture records God saying to human beings. Man, it is quiet in here, man. Should I be sweating right now? It's from the very beginning in Genesis, God is saying, look, I bless this. I bless this. I sanction this. This is good. Um, If you want to know how beautifully, how joyfully, how deeply the Bible celebrates this, and this is just a freebie for you husbands. Valentine's Day is coming up. Um, I'm going to read you just... uh, a couple verses from the Song of Solomon, and then you can take it from there, okay? This is a gift. This is, this is, in fact, this was so racy that the early Puritans said, this is a metaphor for Christ's love for the church. And it may be that, there may be elements of that, but it's also uh, essentially uh, an erotic love poem between a man and his bride, okay? And it says, uh, the bride says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. And it goes on from there. Okay. Um, the scripture is saying that 
that God created us for this union to bring man and woman together, and it's good. It is a good thing. Um, God wants us to understand and create a vision, especially in the church, of sex in the right perspective as a good thing. All right, have I pitched you on that? You believe that now? All right, sex is good. Now, I'm going to offer you an analogy, and this is not going to be a perfect analogy, but this is an analogy about how God teaches us that how sex works best, okay? Um, I have a friend that recently purchased an iPhone. And this friend of mine has his iPhone, but he's kind of a technophobe. He doesn't, doesn't like to read instructions. He doesn't like to read the manual. He likes to do things his own way. So he's got this iPhone, and he can make calls on this iPhone, but he, cannot, he doesn't know how to download podcasts. He doesn't know how to download apps. He doesn't know how to get on the Internet. He doesn't know how to text message. He doesn't know how to play games. Uh, Claude, is that? I wasn't talking about Claude, but um, I was talking about somebody else. Um, I mean, he doesn't know how to tap into anything that this iPhone can do, right? And he really doesn't want to know. He kind of just likes making phone calls. Our culture treats sex the way that my friend treats an iPhone. In other words, we are missing out as a culture on the glorious vision that God describes in the scripture of union, of intimacy, of love, of commitment, of marriage, of procreation. We're missing out on the brilliance and beautiful nature. It's a spiritual union that can occur in sex because we are only using it as a blunt instrument of physical instant gratification. And I want us to start thinking about uh, the church being a place that's not just an institution of no, don't do that, but as an institution of let me draw you a new vision of what this can be, okay? Because we're not winning the fight of don't do it. That fight is not going our way, okay? Um, We need to not be the institution of no, we need to be a vision caster from the scripture about the benefits and the joys and the fulfillment of doing relationships and sex in the way that the scripture describes. We need to be that. Um, Christians largely, the Barna Group does a lot of research on this, but Christians are largely defined by what we oppose. When people, at, when college students and teenagers are asked, hey, what are, what's a Christian? largely they describe us in terms of what we oppose or what they believe we oppose, okay? And so they will say things, and there's this view, and in in, in, in this isn't true, but this is the view. Uh, Christians have gotten the reputation as being anti-women, anti-science, anti-gays, anti-sex, anti-intellectual, anti-culture, anti-art, anti-diversity, anti-progress. And if in the area of sexuality, all we have is a list of don'ts, we are going to lose the hearts of the young people and the middle-aged and the old people. We're going to lose the hearts of the people that we're trying to reach in this area. Because people don't respond very long or very well to fear and just no. Okay? When I was a kid, there was a band called David and the Giants. I don't know if any of you have ever heard these guys. They were cool. They had this song. Nobody's ever heard of them. They were like a Christian band. Um, they had this song called Noah, and they would play it at the end of their concerts. 
And Noah was this song about like the end of the world and the apocalyptic vision of the rapture and the blood being up to the bridle of the horse. And it was like really intense. And the, the idea behind the song is that it would drive all the kids down to the altar to pray through and, you know, give their life to God. And it was effective for that purpose for that night. But shortly after that, everyone kind of just went back to whatever it was they were doing because fear doesn't speak to our hearts, right? That's not how we're driven. We're driven by vision. We're driven by what can be. And I want us as a church and as a community and as the Christian body to start drawing out a vision of what is possible and what the glorious vision that God has for us in the area of sex and relationships. The women, men, and children in our culture are not going to be moved by us trying to tell them that if you have sex before marriage, here are all the bad things that will happen. You'll catch 11 STDs and you'll have 14 kids and you'll end up out on the street, you know, this and that and the other thing. Because kids are smarter than that. Adults are smarter than that. They know that, you know, that that kind of stuff doesn't have to happen, right? They know that if, if a, a child, a teenager, a, a teenager of moderate intelligence knows that if they use a condom, then they're probably not going to experience all of these things that we used to do, that we used to say, to try to compel them to not have sex before marriage. So we have to do something different. What do we do? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay this out for you, and we're going pla- to start sort of uh, figuring out how it all works in the, in the weeks to come. We want to build a spiritual community of men and women who live in candid and authentic relationship with one another. A group and a community of people where, where we admit our own faults, where we seek help when we've fallen, and where we strengthen and encourage one another to do good works. When we begin to see our relationships and our bodies as God sees them, when we as husbands love our wives as Christ loved the church, sacrificing ourselves for them, serving them, leading them spiritually, loving them honorably, treating them with gentleness and kindness, with real masculine leadership and spiritual integrity, praying with them, reading the Bible with them, not lording over them, not abdicating our duties as husbands. When the wives of the church honor and respect their husbands, esteeming them, supporting them, following their spiritual lead, speaking highly of them both in private and in public, When the single people of the church honor and respect their bodies and the bodies of others, pursuing love rather than lust, peace rather than mere pleasure, true greatness through sacrifice rather than mere self-fulfillment. When through our lives and with our words we cast a vision for a better way, we will stop being the institution of no. And we will become a place where men, women, boys and girls of all ages will flock because they want to experience the depth of relationships that we enjoy. They'll want to lead lives of power and strength and integrity like we live. They'll want to love like we love. They'll want to experience the joy we experience. They'll want to know the peace that we know. And they'll want to experience the freedom that we experience on a daily basis. We have to create a community and a vision of something better than what the world has to offer. That's what we've got to do. And it starts right here. It starts right here with each and every one of us. Drilling down to the parts of us that may hurt, that may be tender, that may be uncomfortable, that may be embarrassing, that may be confusing, that may be shameful. Whatever that is, it starts there. Being candid and open 
and honest and repentant because we do worship a God of grace who can change you. It's not always an easier way, this better way that I'm going to be describing over the next several weeks, but what better way in life is easier ever? It's easier to not exercise, but it's better to exercise. It's easier to eat whatever you want, but it's better to eat healthy foods. It's easier to not go to work, but it's better to go to work. It's easier to lose your temper, but it's better to discipline your emotions. It's easier to not study, but it's better to use your mind in ways that God has blessed you. And in the areas of sex and relationships, it's easier, at least at the beginning, to do whatever you want. But in the end, it's much better, I propose, to do it God's way. Andy Stanley, the pastor of uh, North Point Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia, was giving a talk to a group of teenagers. And he was talking about this idea of chastity and, and uh, you know, living a life of, um, you know, where we follow God with our hearts and our souls, our minds, our bodies, and we really go for this. Um, and at the end of the talk, he said a sort of a, maybe 30-something-year-old woman came up to him uh, that had happened to be there that evening. She had been sitting in the back, and she came up to him, and, he, and she said, you know, this thing that you're talking about, these, these kind of constraints around sexuality, those are just, that's just for the teenagers, right? That's not, you're not talking about adults, right? You're just talking, that's for the teenagers. And, you know, he, he's, he's standing there, and he's thinking, you know, how do I, how do I, like, how do I explain this quickly? And what he said was, and I found this to be pretty insightful. He said, let me just ask you a question. He said, has sex outside of marriage made your life better or just more complicated? And he said that the woman teared up and she said, actually, it's just made it more complicated. I want to just close with this, Al, if you want to come up and play. Sex is powerful for good and for bad. And we're going to explore a lot, uh, a lot of issues going forward. Um, it can be an enriching, fulfilling, enjoyable and intimate act. Or it can be the source of heartache, disappointment, frustration, difficulty, and pain. It can be either way. But at the end of the day, I believe that Jesus offers a better way. And I'll end with just this one little story, and I won't read it. But there's a great moment in the Gospels, in Luke, or rather in John, when when a woman is brought to Jesus, and this woman has been living in ways that are not... Right. They're not. She's been committing adultery. She's been sleeping with men other than her husband. And the religious people surround this woman and they bring her to Jesus. And they say to Jesus, they say, listen. This woman has broken the law of Moses. She's committed adultery. And according to the law of Moses, we're entitled to. In fact, we're supposed to stone her. What do you say that we do, Jesus? And Jesus took a long time. The scripture says he kind of wrote in the dirt and He said, finally, he said to them, whichever one of you is without sin, I want to invite you to pick up the first stone and throw it at her. And that's all he said. And the religious people, one by one, began to walk away because none of them could pick that stone up. And I think what's important about that story, there are a couple things that are important about that story. One is that Jesus didn't keep his distance from people who were struggling in these areas, okay? In fact, the scripture said everybody left, and it was just Jesus and the woman there alone. Everybody had left, and he, and, and, and he stayed there with her. 
Jesus doesn't separate himself from people that are struggling, and we shouldn't either. All right? Number two is, Jesus didn't deny that the woman was sinning. In other words, he didn't say, hey, you know what? Don't worry about it. It's all good. Forget about it. No problem. Right? It's not that big of a deal. He didn't do that. He said, look, this is sin. And I want you to go your way and sin no more. All right? So he called it what it was. But he did it with mercy, with the opportunity of providing grace and redemption to her in the end. He said, where are your accusers when everybody left? Where did they go? Where are the people that have condemned you? And she said, they're gone. And he said, well, I don't condemn you either. Now go your way and sin no more. Now, I want that to be the dynamic of how we handle all of these issues in the church, okay? We handle them with integrity and that we call things for what they are. We believe the Bible. We believe what the Bible teaches. And we also handle them with grace and redemption and sensitivity, offering people an opportunity. And it may not happen overnight, but offering people an opportunity to come closer to God, draw closer to God in their walk and in the way they conduct themselves in relationships and in their bodies. Amen. And I, I do just want to say, and you can put up the last slide. If some of you are, are struggling in these issues today and, you know, you just are moved by what, something that's been said and you think, gosh, I, I, really, I really want to correct some things in my life. These are three places that you can reach out. You can email us confidentially at use info at ucityfamilychurch.com, okay? I get that email, and I'll be happy to talk to you in, in confidence. If, if it's something where, you know, you don't want to talk to us at the church, um, but there's some difficult sexual addictions or something going on in your life that you just don't quite know what to do with, there's a group in town called First Light. They're very good. They, they deal with these issues very confidentially. They're very great about this stuff. And then finally, there's also Avenues Counseling Center, which is a group that we support. Um, and they can help walk you through some of these issues confidentially. The main thing is that we know that there's redemption, that there's love, that God is there for us, that he's not there to condemn us. He's there to free us. He's there to liberate us. He's there to set us free into a life of, of enjoyment and true fulfillment, not into a life of bondage and entanglement. Amen? Amen. I'd like to end with like some real funny joke. But I'll think of that, and then next week I'll start with it, okay? Um, Let's just bow our our heads one more time and pray. Father, thank you for helping us through this very challenging and difficult issue and passage today. God, help us over the next several weeks. Help us to think of friends and family that may benefit from hearing about your word when it comes to sex and sexuality and relationships, marriage and all that. Um, we ask, Lord, that you, that you help us to be a light to them, even if we're not perfect ourselves, even if we, you know, we're not exactly doing exactly what you've called us to do ourselves. Help us to reach others, to bring them into the light of your grace. Help each and every one of us, Lord, to draw closer to you, to find forgiveness and grace and mercy in you. Help each and every single one of us, Lord, to be free and disentangled from the pain and the suffering and the difficulty that derives from doing things our own way and not following your path. God, help us to think critically about the difference between what the scriptures say and what our culture says about these issues. And really, does the scripture provide a better way? Open our hearts and our our eyes and our minds 
to that truth, Lord. And God, today we ultimately just lift up our hearts to you and we thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us in the state that we're in, where we are right now. Even though we're not perfect, we're loved by your grace. We're saved by your grace. God, we open our hearts to you today and we thank you. We ask you to come into our hearts and change our lives. Make our lives better. Draw us into the intimacy of your love. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, if you are a person who you haven't given your life to God or you don't are not a follower of Jesus, but something about what we're talking about resonates with you, would you just write that down on a card? Just say, I want to I give my life to God or I want to give my life to Jesus or whatever you want to however you want to express it, write that down on your connection card and you can put it in one of these baskets. We'll reach out to you and we'll help walk you through it. We're doing a lot of discipleship now at the church and like sort of walking people through what's it mean to be a follower of Jesus. We want to be with you in that process. Um, as we close, I would invite you all to stand. We're going to worship in a, in a couple ways at the end here. Um,